It's just nice to have an oasis in the middle of the week and just uh, to come and hopefully be refreshed and just enjoy your presence, enjoy the body of Christ, and just to go deeper in our walks with you. Help us to be the lights and witnesses you've called us to be and always say and do in your name. Amen. Tonight in Job 32, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do 32 through 37, which sets us up for chapter 38, which is the chapter we have been waiting for, because this is the chapter where God shows up in chapter 38. But we're introduced here in chapter 32 tonight, a man by the name of Elihu. Now, Elihu is not one of the three that's been talking. He just kind of appears here at the end, and Elihu is a really interesting character. And if you study this out, and if you like to get into commentaries and what everybody says, people are really divided on this guy. This guy's a little bit of a young whippersnapper. He comes in, he has a lot of strong opinions. A lot of his opinions sound good, but he's pretty cocky, he's pretty confident. Some people really look at him as a wonderful picture of the Lord. Some people look at him as the problem of speaking your mind without thinking about it. But it's interesting that God comes in Job 42 and he rebukes Job and his three friends, but God does not rebuke Elihu. And that's kind of an interesting thing when you stop and think about it. So we're going to do his speech tonight. Job's done. Job has quit talking. Everybody else is done. And Elihu is just kind of saying, if everybody's done, I got a lot of stuff to say. So let's find out who he is. Let's jump here in verse 32. So these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakiel, the Bezite, the family of Ram, was aroused against Job real quick. That means he's a descendant of Abraham. That's Abraham's family right there. Was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. That's what Elihu is upset about. Is Job is almost defending himself to God. Verse 3, also against his three friends, and his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now because they were years older than he... Elihu had waited to speak to Job, and Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men. His wrath was aroused, so Elihu, the son of Barakiel, the Bazite, answered and said, so let's stop right here. What do we know about this guy? He's a descendant of Abraham. We know that he's younger than the other three speakers, and obviously culturally speaking at that time. He had to wait till it was his turn. He just didn't butt right in. And we know this. He's worked up. He's worked up. Have you ever been in that position where there's a group of people talking and you've got something really important to say? And you know it's life-changing. And so you just want to say it. And as you're just out there and everybody's talking and you can't get a word in and you're just getting yourself all worked up, that's Elihu. He just can't wait to say it. And look at all these phrases right here. His anger was wrath was aroused, verse 3. He waited to speak. But in verse 5, his wrath was aroused. Jump ahead to verse 17, same chapter. I will also answer my part. I too would declare my opinion. For I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. He's been waiting for these previous 30-some chapters to talk. He finally gets his opportunity. My uh, third son, Kenan, when we're in a group and there's seven of us and we have to wait to speak, you just see it. He can't control himself. He starts hopping, you know? He's just hopping. Just, he just can't. And then when he finally gets his opportunity to say something, he's so excited, he can't formulate a thought <laughs> just to figure out what to say. I see Elihu just been sitting here and just thinking, oh, come on, guys. I got, I got so much to say. I'm worked up about this. 
So he finally gets to speak. He says, hey, I'm going to be honest. Verse 21. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, nor do I know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. He goes, listen, guys, I'm just going to be open. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not taking sides. And I'm going to just tell you what I think. So what does he have to say? Let's see what he has to say. Chapter 33. He says, the Spirit of God has made me, verse 4, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Truly, I am as as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of the clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. This is why Elihu is so difficult to get a grasp on. Because sometimes he says something that is really good. And you see this point right here in verse 7. Listen, I'm not here to terrify you. I'm not going to give you a heavy hand. I'm here to talk to you. You know, this phrase that we've been saying a lot recently, you know, part of the goal of the church and the pastor is to equip the saints, not whip the saints. And so what is he trying to say in verse 7? Hey, I'm not here to get heavy on you, Job. Okay, that's good. But look what he says before. Job, you've been asking for chapter after chapter that you wish you had a spokesman before God. Guess what? Verse 6, I am your spokesman before God. Wow, that's a pretty big statement to make. Now, some people have thought that maybe Elihu was sent by the Lord to be the spokesman. Now, I don't think you could really make a case for that biblically, spiritually. But this guy says, Job, you want somebody to be your spokesman before God? I'm here. I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm not here to intimidate anybody. I'm just here. Now, what can we learn from this? We'll skip the verse 6 part about the spokesman before God. Obviously, he's not God's mediator. But we can look at verse 7. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. My boys are still young enough that if I want them to do what I ask them to do, I can intimidate them. I can scare them. I still have a big, loud, booming voice. For not too much longer, I'm still taller than them. There's going to come a time and a place where my boys are not intimidated by my voice. They will no longer look up to me. They will look down on me because they will be taller. And at that point, why will they listen to me? See, I wonder how many times in life do we try to get our way by being terrifying or intimidating. Jesus, when he walked this earth, was so approachable that little kids wanted to come up and sit on his lap. You ever think about that? See, we have this mindset of what a powerful man or woman looks like in the world today, and they're intimidating and they're strong. Man, I just want to be the people that people want to come and hang out with and say, hey, let's just go talk to James, because hopefully it's the love of Christ that comes through. It's not about being big and tough. It's about representing Jesus. And Elihu says, I'm not here to intimidate anybody. I'm just here to represent. That's all I want to do. And guess how he's going to do it? Verse 8. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. Do you see what he's doing? Elihu is using Job's words against him. This is what's interesting about his speech. All the other speeches of these other guys, Bildad, Eliphaz, etc., it's just them rambling on again and again and again. Elihu is almost, you almost see him like he's been taking notes over these previous 30 chapters. He said, okay, Job, do you remember when you said this? Because, see, look right here in verse 8. See, Job, this is what you said, verse 9. I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there's no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. It's almost like you see Elihu say, Job, do you, remember, do you remember saying that? You remember saying that there's really no transgression in you? Verse 9, you're pure, you're innocent, so God really has nothing against you? 
Don't you hate it when somebody uses your own words against you? See, I'm going to be honest right now. If you ever come into me for counseling, I will be honest with you right from the beginning. I will use your words against you. I will sit there and I have a piece of paper and I have a pen and I take notes as you're talking. And I'm not saying this to be mean and I'm not saying this to get you in trouble. But you know what? Out of the mouth precedes the thoughts and intents of the heart. So sometimes those things we say, now granted, sometimes in emotion we say things we shouldn't say. But if you let somebody just keep talking long enough, you start really seeing what they think and feel. We have a lot of recorded words of Job. And Elihu says, I'm going to write this down. And I'm going to see what you said. Because you're saying right here, I'm innocent, I'm pure, verse 9, and God is the enemy of me. And he says, look, verse 12, look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Here's the big point of Elihu's speeches. Job, it's not about you, it's about God. Now think about this. When you're lying on that bed in physical pain, it's not about you, it's about the glory of the Lord. When you just had the absolute worst day at work, and it was just awful, and the whole world is against you, it's not about you. It's about the glory of the Lord and representing Jesus Christ. See, what Elihu does is he comes here and he finally gets everybody's eyes off Job. He says, it's not about Job. It's about God. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what Hebrews 12 says? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How often in this world is it always about us? I, I was doing devotions this week and I was just praying over stuff and I was struggling with things. And I realized every stupid thing I do in life comes down to pride. It's just all about me. And that's how Satan fell. I had a pastor friend that always used to say this. The biggest epidemic facing the church today is ingrown eyeballs. The only thing we see is ourselves. And that's a lot of truth. When we get worked up, when we get offended, when we get bothered, it's usually because it's all about us. And what Elihu is trying to say is, I'm going to correct you. Because Job, you're not right. And he says what he tries to say in chapter 33. is He says, Job, God is trying to speak to you. And how is he trying to speak to you? Verse 15, in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and seals your instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. I'm going through uh, Psalms right now for devotions. And it amazes me how many times in Psalms the psalmist writes, I want to start my day out with you and I want to finish my day with you. Well, that's a great thing. I want to start my day out with you. I want to finish my day with you. Chuck Swindoll said one time when it comes to preaching, he says preaching is a lot like uh, going on an airplane ride, if you will. As long as the takeoff is good and the landing is good, you forget about how bad it was in the middle. Your day may be awful, but if you start the day out with the Lord and you end with the Lord as you're lying in bed and maybe you're reading something and praying, all of a sudden the awfulness of the middle of the day just kind of starts to disappear. And what, what Elihu is saying to Job is right now, hey, if God wants to speak to you, he can do it. He can just even speak to you in the sleep, Job. And the Lord can do that. That makes it clear. But then Elihu goes this. You know how God also speaks? Verse 19. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones. 
So that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out where once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. If you want to, you can just take verse 19. If you just want to cross that verse out and pretend it doesn't exist. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones. See, Elihu says, Job, one of the ways God's going to speak to you is through pain. I don't like that. That's true. You guys all know that. Sometimes when you're going through something spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and it's pain, the Lord speaks. I think it was Spurgeon that said, for God to use a man mightily, first he must be broken mightily. There's a lot of truth to that. And what Elihu is saying to Job is part of the way God's going to speak to you, Job, is through pain. But the goal is not to crush you. What is the goal? Well, let's see what he has to say here. Let's find out what the goal is. He says from right here, the goal, if you start in verse uh, 21, his flesh wastes away from sight. We talked about his bones stick out where once were not seen. Yet his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioners. We, we feel like we're going to fall. We feel like we're falling away. But God says, no, you're not going to. Why? Verse 24, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child. He shall return the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what I was right and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. See, he says, Job, God uses pain to get your attention, but he doesn't leave you there, Job. He brings you out of the pit, verse 28. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. One of my favorite verses, and I've been quoting this a lot lately, is that how weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There is a season of weeping, and some of you may be in a season of weeping right now, and it is really difficult. But what Elihu is telling Job is, the pain God is using and he's going to get you out of this. See, because look at verse 29. Behold, God works all these things. See, Halihu's speeches, it's not about you, Job. It's about God. Twice, in fact, three times with the man to bring his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. This is God's plan, Job. He's using this pain to get your attention. Verse 31, give ear, Job, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will teach you wisdom. See, remember previously with Eliphaz and Bildad? Basically it started saying, Job, you're awful, you're dumb. And Job would come back and say, well, no, you're dumb. That's how they were doing in the middle of the book. Elihu says, Job, listen to me. Listen to me. Real quick, for you that have kids or married or just close relationships has anything productive ever came out of saying that the person's dumb think about that you know it's like if someone came and said well, my wife and i had the greatest conversation the other day well how'd it go why well, first i called her stupid and then that really just opened up communication it never does see what we finally learned with elihu that bildad didn't have and eliphaz didn't have and all those guys didn't have elihu sounds like he really cares and you will get more accomplished with relationships, with, with spouses and co-workers and friends and family. If you come across as saying, I care and I want to make this better. 
It's an amazing thing. Pastor's conference years ago, pastor said the most powerful eight words in the English language is this. I'm sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. Those are some powerful words. So Elihu says, Job, listen. This pain is God's plan. He's trying to work something out here. The focus is on God, not Elihu. So that's the first couple chapters here. We're going to keep going in chapter 34. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything before we go on? All right, yeah, Ron. What time zone is this? I mean, over days, weeks? That's a good question. And we don't know 100% for sure. We do know back in the first, uh, I think it's chapter 3, they sat in silence for at least seven days. That we know. And then Job makes a comment, and he made a comment a couple weeks ago, where I think he said, um, oh, months ago people used to listen to me. So we know it's been at least seven days. We don't know how long this conversation went on in the beginning. Was it a conversation that just never stopped? Was it a conversation where they talked for a while and sat? We don't know. So it could be as short as a couple weeks. It could be long as many, many weeks. Anybody else got anything? Okay. So let's continue on with what Elihu has to say. He comes back in chapter 34, and look what he says, verse 5. For Job has said, once again, Job, I'm going to use your words against you. I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my, uh, my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. See, he uses Job's words against him. Job, you said you're right. You said, verse 6, that you're without transgression. And Elihu's point is very simple. Job, if you say you're right and you're without sin, what you're really saying is God is wrong. That's Elihu's point. That's a big point. See, no one else said that. All the other guys used to say, Job, you're sinning. That's why you're being punished. And Job said, I'm not sinning. And they went on back and forth, back and forth. Elihu comes in here and says, Job, you said you were without sin. And so therefore you didn't deserve this. So what you're really saying is God is wrong. And how does he follow this up? Verse 10, therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. We live in a world today where everybody blames God. Everybody blames God. You know, there's this horrible storm that goes through a part of the earth. Why did God do that? You know, I've had people come up to me over the years, and you've heard me say this before. Why would I want to serve and love a God that allows little kids to get cancer? Why would I want to serve and love a God that just likes to curse people and crush people? Why would I want to serve a God that's just out on destroying everything? My response back is always, I wouldn't want to serve that God either. And that's not the God I serve. The Bible makes it very clear that I live in a cursed, fallen world. And part of a cursed, fallen world is that there's storms, there's cancer, there's sickness. It's awful. And that's why the God I serve says, I'm going to come back and, and, and get you and take you out. And the God I serve says, I'm going to come back and I'm actually going to rule and reign for a thousand years to show you how good it could be. And the God I serve says, after the thousand years is done and I finally take care of Satan completely, he goes, I'm just going to start from scratch and go with a new heaven and a new earth. That's the God I serve. And what Elihu is trying to tell Job is this. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. Verse 11. For he repays man according to his work. And he makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor the Almighty pervert justice. He's not going to do that. See, and this is what Elihu is trying to say. Let's get the focus back on God. 
God's not wrong. And he kind of sums it up this. Jump ahead to verse 33 of the same chapter. Should he repay it according to your terms just because you disavow it? You must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. What an interesting verse in verse 33. Should he repay it according to your terms? I love how the different translations say this. King James is out there. Should it be according to thy mind? He will recompense it. New Living Translation. Must God tailor his justice to your demands? NIV, I think, makes it very clear. Should God then reward you on your terms? And how many times do we want to do that as a believer? God, here are my terms, and so therefore, I will now serve you. We were talking at the small group at our house just a couple of days ago when Peter said, No, Lord. How can you tell the Lord no? That this doesn't even make sense. God asks you to do something, and your response is, No, Lord. No master of my life. No God supreme controller of everything. I won't do it. And what Elihu is trying to tell Job is, wait a second. Why does God have to meet your terms? You know, we still do that. We still expect God to be the little genie in the bottle. Well, I prayed for that job and I didn't get it and I don't know why. Well, maybe because the Lord who is smarter than anything we could ever imagine knows that's not best for you. Well, I prayed for this to work out or I prayed for that. Or why did God curse me with this spouse? Or why is my life always falling apart? Well, 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 wait a second. We just read that God doesn't do wickedness. He's good. Why do you think that he has to be on your terms? As we've said out here many times before, when God promises that he works together for good in all things, the question comes up is what is your definition of good versus God's definition of good? See, my definition of good is usually health, wealth, and happiness. God's definition of good can be completely different from that, but I have to trust him. God's not trying to meet me on my terms. He's God. He makes the terms. I mean, he makes the terms. You you know, I mean, it's like when you see the the parent negotiating with the two-year-old. Who's really in charge? We were in Walmart the other day, and Walmart is just a fascinating experience, just to go into Walmart. (laughs) We were in Walmart the other day, and I, I had two of my kids with me, and we just had to go in and just grab one thing and get out. And as we're going, I hear this, like, end of the world screaming. And I look over, and it's, I'm assuming mom and grandma, so I just kind of looked at it, mom and grandma, and this little two-year-old, I'm assuming girl, just, actually she's older than two, just sitting on the floor, just screaming. And you know what the mom's response is? If you're going to keep screaming like that, I'm just going to leave you here. And, and you hear that. And you're like, you know what? Maybe mommy should. <laughs> you know what? I'll just go grab her and we'll just go. And I'm not saying that we got it all figured out. We have our own little hissy fits at home and they're mostly me. But we still have those things. But my point, though, is this. It, it, sometimes I feel we look at the God that way. I'm a little two-year-old. I didn't get in my way, so I'm going to scream and throw a little hissy fit until God gives in. God doesn't give in. And that's what Elihu is trying to tell Job. God's not going to negotiate on your terms, Job. If this is what's happening in your life, you need to accept this. Jump ahead to verse 7 of chapter 35. If you are righteous, what do you give him? What does he receive from your hand? But basically, Elihu is saying to Job, is, Job, what do you think you have to offer God? Did you ever think about that? What do you have to give to God, Job? I mean, why, why would God negotiate with you? What do you have 
that he doesn't have. I mean, obviously God wants your heart. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But, but Job, it's not like you have any power in this. You don't have any cards to play. You got nothing. Because he's God and you're not. See, Elihu is the only one of these guys to say it's not about you, Job. It's about God. And that's the point we got to remember in all of our lives. When your world falls apart and when my world falls apart, it's not about our world falling apart. It's about, Lord, how can you be glorified through this? Lord, how can I keep my focus on you? It's about you, Lord. It's not about me. Real quick, has anybody got any other quick questions, comments here before we... We've got two more chapters of his speech before we're done here. Okay. So let's find out what happens. He says in God's case, verse 36, excuse me, uh, chapter 36, verse 1, Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. See, now we're back to this difficult Elihu. Sometimes he says these things that are amazing. And then other times he says in verse 2, Hey, I'll speak on God's behalf. It's almost like he's saying, you know, it's okay, God, I got this one covered. I got this covered. And I fetch my knowledge from afar. I'm really smart. Verse 4, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. I'm going to start introducing myself that way. I'm James, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. I mean, it it comes across uh, pretty impressive, you know. And that's what Elihu says. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. But Elihu is making some good points. And once again, the point is the focus should be on God, not Job. Look at verse 22. Behold God, same chapter. Behold God is exalted by his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way? Or who has said you have done wrong? He says, "How, Job, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to try to correct God? And he goes on with this case. Verse 24, remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. He he gives this great speech now on the greatness of God. Verse 26. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can we number of the years, excuse me, nor can the number of his years be discovered. He draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds? The thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it. He covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the people. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hand with lightning and commands it to strike. The thunder declares it. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. He says, Job, who are you? Remember just a couple chapters ago, Job said, I wish I could stand before God. And we talked about this last week. Job said, I will stand before God like a prince. He goes, I'm going to stand before God like royalty and defend myself. Elihu says, wait a second, you can command lightning, you can make it rain, you can make it thunder, you you can produce food, Job. See, when God appears here in chapter 38, jump ahead real quick, and I, I cannot wait till next week. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but we're allowed to do that. Verse 30, chapter 38, verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And look at his first question. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To where it's its foundations, fancies? 
Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And he just goes on and on and on. God just says, Job, answer me. You got all the answers, Job. And this is what Elihu is saying. He's really preparing God's argument. If you go to chapter 37, he keeps this. Verse 1. Also, this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. See, Job, it's not about you. It's about him. Verse 14, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. And that kind of finishes up his argument. Job, he's God, you're not. It's all about him. It's not about you. You know, yesterday, and I don't even know why for sure, it was just one of those days where it just wasn't a good day. And you kind of find yourself as the day is going on getting a little grouchier and ouchier. You know what I mean? So, and the day was just just kind of struggling. And so we got home from doing some stuff. It was probably about 7, 8 o'clock. And you talk about the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. You know what I mean? We get home. It's 7, 8 o'clock. Um, we had a lot going on today at home. We had a home inspection. Dawn and I are doing some uh, foster care. So we had our final home inspection. And so we had to have everything ready. You got to have the house perfect for that. We pull into the driveway. It's like, okay, let's get stuff unloaded, get going in. And you know what meets, you know what meets us at our house? Our two goats meet us at our house. They're just out walking around. So this is 738 o'clock, and there's two goats in our driveway just to say hi to us. And it's kind of like, you know, you reach a point where you're so angry, you're not even angry. You know what I mean? It's almost scary. Like you're just so fed up and frustrated, and you're just like, Dip, this is just the perfect end to the day. Fergus and Thor the goats standing in our driveway as we get home. So Dawn gets him back in. She takes care of that. And so I'm out now. It's 8 o'clock at night, and i got a flashlight, and I'm walking around the fence going, how did they get out? Trying to find this, you know, hole-in-the-fence type thing. And last night was just beautiful with the stars. And you, and you know I'm a big astronomy guy. And as I'm out there, you know, working myself up into this anger, because that's what you like to do, because anger feels good, right? Justifiable anger. I have the worst life in the world because my goats got out. <laughs> You know, curse the day those goats were born. You know what I mean? It's, I just keep looking up at the stars. It's like, man, there's the Big Dipper. Oh, man, there's the Pleiades right over there. And so my boys, and, oh, man, I love those boys. Um, they, uh, two of the boys come out, Judah and Kenan come out, and they said, Dad, we thought you might need a helper. Now, I didn't want to help her. <laughs> you know, you don't want to help her. But all of a sudden, it's like, boys, have you ever seen the Pleiades before? So, you know, you teach them how if you look straight on it, you can't see it. It's really weird. You know, you got to look at the corner of your eye. All of a sudden, we're talking about the amazingness of God's creation and stars and constellations. And it's like, yeah, who cares about the goats? I'm just going to go shoot them. You know what I mean? Who cares about the goats? <laughs> but, but you reach a point where it's like, you know, you get your mind back where it's supposed to be. There's a lot out there, Lord. A lot of stars, constellations. You know, globular clusters. Gosh, Lord, what am I? Which this is what I want to finish with. Can you go with me to Psalm 8? Psalm 8. 
Psalm 8 is just a simple nine-verse psalm. And you know what we've been trying to do every week here as we go through Job is to end on something encouraging. Because there have been some really difficult passages in Job, and some real downers, if you will. Psalm 8. Verse 1, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that they may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. I'm going to add goats. And even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And what really hit me was verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And, and, and I was just, when I was taking these notes, I wrote this down. The question is, how big is your God? You know, have you ever thought about that? How big is your God? Because it's amazing how when the problems of this life hit us, all of a sudden the power of our God becomes really small. Like, this problem's so big. No, it's not. Your God is really big. And really what you're facing is not as big as you probably think it is. You know I'm an astronomy guy. I love this type of stuff. I just want to remind you of how big your God is here real quick. I always find this fascinating. Real quick, we're running out of time. When it says, when I look at the sun, the moon, and the stars, I ask myself, you know, what is man that you're mindful of? Creation speaks to the glory of God. Okay, do you realize what's going on as we stand here right now? As we sit here right now, the earth is rotating at 1,041 miles per hour. You are going 1,041 miles per hour right now. So when you're driving home and your spouse says you're going too fast because you're going 60, you can look right at her and say, babe, I'm going 1,000 miles per hour right now. You know, because that's the truth. You're going 1,000 miles per hour. Now, the earth is going around the sun. And the earth is going around the sun. And it's 607 million miles to get around it. And that takes one year to do, which means that we are now then going 69,360 miles an hour around the sun. You're on this ball of earth that's rotating at 1,000 miles an hour, which is going around the sun at 69,000 miles an hour, and that's not all it. We're also, as a solar system, moving, as we're moving through this, and we're moving through the galaxy at about 446,000 miles an hour. Isn't that fascinating? And you don't even notice it. God... It's just taking care of it. And what you're going to find out here in Psalm, uh, excuse me, in Job 38, he asked Job basically, without using those type of mathematical numbers, he goes, Job, do you know how you're doing all this, Job? Because you're not. He goes, I am doing this. And that is how big is your God. So this week when the world starts falling apart, just remember you're rotating at 1,000 miles an hour. Because that's how big your God is. And he just absolutely takes care of it in all ways and all things. And that's the point of Elihu's speech. is Job, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. And let's get our focus back on the Lord. And it's a good way to end man's take. And I tell you, boy, next week, Job 38, I can't wait for that.
Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here that we covered before we uh, get a chance to close with prayer? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, just good to be here tonight. Good food, good fellowship. Um, just a great time to get in here and just talk about who you are. And we just love you, Lord. And Lord, I just think of this coming Saturday, you know, just a service project over there in Deschler, the youth coming out here to clean. Um, Lord, we don't want to just sit here and do nothing. We want to go. Give us opportunities to show your love to the people we run into and to be a difference maker and where we live and where we work in all ways and all things. I um, ask for your continued blessing upon the small groups that connections can be made and the body of Christ could be encouraged. The Operation Christmas Child, just already that those kids are going to receive those gifts, you're just already spiritually preparing their heart for the gospel message that it would be touched by you in all ways and all things. And Lord, raise up people that we can send out as missions, be it local or just wherever you want to go, that we can really go, Lord and do what you've called us to do. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And help us be light and witnesses for you and all that we say and do in your name. Amen. Hey, it's almost 8 o'clock. We got out a little bit late, but we're still going to have a time of prayer. If you got anything you want to pray about, pop on up here as the body of Christ. We'll pray. And if not, you guys have a good week and God bless.